0: Hey everybody, this is Daryl Brackeen Jr. with Exploring Democracy with DBJ. Let's do it. Hey, look folks, it's been a while, but we're going to jump right into Exploring Democracy with DBJ. And we're going to get into the divisions of power. Look, the last time we spoke to each other, we were talking about separations of power and checks and balances. Look, in present day America... It is in question as to how the balances of power and the checks and balances are in play, but I basically want to just give you uh, some tidbits and some tips on how democracy is supposed to work and how it's supposed to look like in this day and time. Yes, it has been a few hundred years and we've advanced in time, but some things are just tried and true. One, there must be a separation of power, which simply means that There are three branches of government, and no branch of government has the same powers as the other person. They're completely independent, and they're supposed to be complementary. The other thing that's a tried and true point is that there needs to be checks and balances. Look, I think you all uh, know if you are fans of Alexander Hamilton, uh, which featured many of the founding fathers, in particular James Madison, who wrote the Federalist essay concerning checks and balances. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison were crucial individuals in terms of the development of this idea that, again, government should not be too powerful, that it cannot be checked. And in order to check each balance of power, there must be three branches. So there's the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. In the legislative branch, at the outset, uh, there is the House of Representatives and the Senate. They pretty much do the same thing. uh, But Senators and representatives, they do the the groundwork, the day-to-day work to actually keep government going through the proposal of legislation. They absolutely talk about it quite a bit on the House floor and the Senate floor, and then they vote to pass the laws. While they share a lot of the powers, the two houses are not both alike. Look, here's the point. Senate, they actually get longer terms. They serve for six years. If you're a House of Representative member, you only serve for two and you have to keep running again. Uh, I believe that balance really is to ensure that there's institutional knowledge uh, that stays in the legislative branch as they all rotate out and have to run for their own designated re-elections over time. But again, they do the work generally together. And when we talk about the Congress we have to talk about the Constitution. And the Constitution uh, was developed in order to ensure that there were some principles that were established uh, for the United States of America. And it was the legislative branch that instituted that. And, of course, the two houses in Congress, the Senate and the House of Representatives, was really to also bring some balance and some fairness to ensure that Uh, The House of Representatives had members who were directly carrying the voices of their community and had an impact versus the Senate who also carried the voice of the community, but they also had a longer-term presence and consistency to ensure that the balance of power stayed in place. And there are many uh, pieces of legislation, uh, some controversial, others not. When we talk about the hammering on of the Great Compromise, in terms of creation of the new government in 1787, it was simply uh, a space and a place for them to convene and to ensure that the balance of power uh, leveled out and that there were proportionate representation in both houses to ensure that everyone, everyone was involved. Now I have to talk about the fact that even in the very beginnings of uh This federal government system being created through uh, many of the leading federalists, there were compromises that had to be made. And like I said, the Great Compromise was one. But also in this compromise process, there were other pretty racist compromises that were brought to the table, such as the Three-Fifths Compromise, when simply said that African-American slaves and those that were enslaved were considered three-fifths of a person in order to increase the representation of the Southern delegations. Uh, which typically comprised of Democrats back then. I know we all know of the present-day modern Democrat and Republican Party, but their roles have essentially evolved and changed greatly and drastically over the history of the United States of America. And the Three-Fifths Compromise uh, was, look, it was for the purposes of creating representation in the South, because there were less um, individuals in the South in terms of population. Therefore, they would not have the same representation that the northern states would have. And this compromise was all out racist. And it just was wrong. And to think that uh, even the consideration of it in order to provide increase of representation is really scary. And one thing we're going to do about uh, involving our history and our understanding of the United States' history, there is no denying that racism uh, is the America's original sin. And it, it's interwoven throughout uh, the creation and the foundation of our democracy. And I know that we've come a long way in terms of the development and ensuring that there's great equality, but there's still a very long way to go. And we're gonna talk about that at some point in the future as well. But let's get back to the legislative branch. Of course, there's term limits, And um, the idea of term limits that are proposed um, and those term limits are every two years. You can you can run as much as you want. But look, your term ends in two years. You have to go run for your seat. So that is uh, one version of a term limit. I understand that uh, over the years, the uh, evolution of the idea of term limits, meaning we limit an individual for running. Um, uh, for a certain time frame, but uh, that has not been uh, actually heavily supported at the federal level. And I suspect that we won't really see that because the understanding of term limits at the federal level in these positions is that you simply run again. That is your term limit. So every two years and every six years, respectively, for each House. So as of right now, there's about 435 members of the House of Representatives and Uh, it's a very diverse place uh, in modern day um, history. The Speaker of the House is the leader of the House. And there are uh, a leadership team that comprises of many members of the ruling majority party. And the majority party in modern day moment is the Democratic Party. uh, But we know next week, our midterm uh, elections, and, and things could drastically change. And we will be Uh, ever looking out as to how this works in terms of the future. So what does democracy actually look like? And no, I'm not talking about the vague platitudes. I'm talking about what does the House of Representatives look like feel like, legislate like, and what does the Senate look like in terms of age, race, gender? Look, 1786, the average age of a member of the House of Representatives was about 45 years old. Averaging in about 2017 to 2019, the oldest average age went up to about 57 years old. And usually... The House of Representatives and the Senate trended toward white, wealthy men. And that's just the facts. And it wasn't until 2018, that election, in which it ushered in a significantly younger House of Representatives. The incoming members of Congress in 2018 were on the average age of about 47 years old. And the 116th Congress was also noted as the most diverse in U.S. history. But the truth is, have a very long way to go. Remember, 435 members of the House of Representatives. At that time, there were only 106 women represented, 45 Black Americans, 45 Latinx Americans, and only 20 Asian Americans, and only four Native Americans in the House of Representatives. I have to say, we have a long, long way to go in order to ensure that the House of Representatives is actually representative of the population of its people. And when you have that reflection, oftentimes the legislation reflects the population of the people. And many of these communities are absolutely struggling in, uh, in keeping their rights and obtaining what they deserved in terms of equality and equity in this America that we live in today. Look, having gone over the demographics of the U.S. representatives and the United States Senate, I have to talk about how there have been many inequities in terms of the access to actually getting into these institutions. Let's go back in history for a second. Post-Civil War, there is a time period called the Reconstruction Era in which Abraham Lincoln uh, sought to ensure that the recently free enslaved individuals, African-Americans, were able to have equal footing and equity and a great start on the outset. But unfortunately, there were many individuals and organizations and uh, in particular, the Southern Democrats at that time who were blocking everything and fighting tooth and nail to ensure that this didn't happen. And unfortunately, after the demise of Abraham Lincoln and his assassination, President Andrew Johnson just so happened to be a pretty strong advocate for the Southern Democrats in ensuring that they received their lost lands, that they received um, additional funding in order to uh, re-obtain their lands, therefore displacing hundreds of thousands of African Americans who were actually due through the Freedmen's Bureau reparations, which included land and access to be able to build up their communities and ensure that they got off to a solid start at the very least. Additionally, what this door opened was an opportunity for African-Americans to actually run for public office Once the Radical Republican Party during that time, uh, led by Thaddeus Stevens uh, and others uh, to pass legislation to ensure that they are able, Black men in particular, was able to get the right to vote, therefore they have the right uh, to run for public office. Many do not know that there were at least 20 African Americans who ran for the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate and was sat in these chambers. And it was really a miraculous feat. Um, The reason why I'm mentioning this is because I believe it's time that we highlight and talk about these individuals so that they can get their day in the sun and that new generations can know that, no, you can overcome even despite the greatest of circumstances. So I will be releasing my new book, The Almost Forgotten. The highlight of the black politicians during the reconstruction era very soon and this legislative feat and the in the u.s history and the great opportunities that were presented and the many wonderful exploits of these individuals will never be forgotten so stay tuned and we'll let you know when that's coming out very soon What is the average age in order to run for the United States Senate? Take a guess. The required age is 30. Therefore, the average age skews a little higher. In addition, another requirement to run for the U.S. Senate is that you have to be a U.S. Senate citizen for about nine years. And, of course, you have to be a resident of the state in which you are running from. Okay? Okay. And in order to ensure that you're able to actually run, you have to basically have an extreme war chest of wealth backing you. The average campaign was about $78 million to run a successful Senate campaign in 2018. That is wild. You simply have to be very wealthy or have access to very wealthy people. I don't know any average American that has access to that type of cash. Otherwise, we'd all be swimming in cash. And really, truthfully, we wouldn't have the inequities that we're facing here in the United States today. That means the very few are the ones who have to represent the very many. And oftentimes, they have no clue what the average American is feeling, thinking, or even simply put, experiencing in their everyday life. What about the women? Yeah. In America, women, just like African Americans, were simply not considered citizens. I would even venture to say uh, that they were not considered full people. Uh, They were basically wards to the men and were subjected to their household. So if a woman wanted to navigate through American society, they had to do that through the men that they were quote unquote assigned to for all intents and purposes. In the creation of this country and the foundation of its legislation and the consideration through its constitution, women were not considered to be even a thought or part of the process of democracy. The disenfranchisement of people through race, gender, and uh, even in modern times through uh, sexuality uh, is really unbecoming of this American democracy. And we need to ensure that you are aware that uh, your voices are not being heard because constitutionally, legislatively, it's literally not in its original intention of this country so we have to be uh, intentional about ensuring amendments lawsuits are upheld in order to ensure the expansion of our democracy and the enfranchisement of women people of color immigrants and individuals of different genders sexuality are involved in this American experiment. Uh, As you may have heard recently, the Supreme Court and its overturning of Roe versus Wade, Wade, Wade is a detriment to our society and the rights of women across this nation. And in order to ensure that we do not go back to the archaic days in which everyone was excluded, we need to ensure we have the right representation in the House of Representatives and in the Congress to codify these laws and to ensure that our Constitution is amended and a sense of permanency is added in order to ensure the rights of women, people of color, immigrants, and the LGBTQIA community, and any other individual who seeks the American dream and to be a part of this great grand. American experience. Oh, what a time. What a time we had today talking about the legislative branch. And look, we're just at the beginning of the legislative branch. Next week, we're going to talk about the powers that the legislative branch has and how that affects you. United States citizens. Simply put, we're going to explore democracy together. We're going to make this happen. We're going to be equipped with the tools we need to affect the change that we need in our communities and our country. See you next time on Exploring Democracy with DBJ. Have a great day.